You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 939 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland coming to you on a Friday evening in the wake of a nine-point loss for the Atlanta Hawks on the road in Oklahoma City. A pretty disappointing night for the Hawks overall. They were favored in this game and uh, came out decently well in the first few minutes, and that was basically the end of that. From that point forward, Oklahoma City controlled the festivities for the most part, and defensively, it was a really bad night for Atlanta. Physicality-wise, I'm going to play some audio for you later in the podcast from Lloyd Pierce with some audible frustration, even through a mask um, at the end of the game, um, and just a lot of frustrating defensive performances across the board for the Hawks in this game. The points in the paint were a problem, all of that, and offensively, it just wasn't quite dynamic enough to overcome all of that. So, top line thought is a not not a not the absolute worst possible loss. Oklahoma City is kind of frisky and well coached and they played well in this game, but definitely not a good night for Atlanta and a bad start to a four-game road trip to end the first half. Okay, before we get into the sort of blow-by-blow of this game, um, at the outset here, some pregame thoughts. Obviously, the Hawks were shorthanded in this game. Cam Reddish was certainly going to be useful, I think, in this spot. You know, Cam struggled this year, but he was listed as questionable coming into the day and then got downgraded to doubtful and then out. He would have been quite... Uh, important, I think, defensively at the point of attack. He would be, he would definitely have been the best option defensively on Shea Gilders-Alexander, for one. Uh, and just, obviously, he can't fix everything. But it would have been helpful to have uh, a primary, you know, small guard defender uh, on the floor for the Hawks at some point in this game. And the Reddish's um, absence was felt, I will say. And then, obviously, uh, Bogdanovich, Hunter, and uh, Chris Dunn still out of the lineup. I will say a small win, I think, probably, is that Lloyd Pierce said pregame that Bogdan Bogdanovich got a workout in yesterday with some staffers from the Hawks. He shot the ball today, and there's there are plans for another workout on Saturday. No timetable still, but he's actually on this road trip, which is probably a good sign, all things considered. I'm not sure he's going to play, obviously, but um, Hunter and Dunn did not travel. So no official update, but that's what Lloyd had to say about Bogdanovich coming into the day. Um, as I said before, Oklahoma City still has some injuries as well. They were without Al Horford, who was resting in this game, George Hill and Hamidou Diallo. So three of their top you know, eight or nine guys did not play in this spot. They did have their best player in SGA, but um, it was a ragtag bunch for the Thunder that beat the Hawks in this game. And Atlanta was a five-point favorite or so, according to our friends at BetOnline.ag. So not a dominant, like, you know, double-digit favorite status, but the Hawks are supposed to win this game even on the road, and they didn't, and they didn't win it. So there you go on that. Okay, to the top of this game, I will say, before basketball stuff, the national story about this game was the uniform calamity. So if you turn this game on at the outset, as I did, and I tweeted this before, before it became sort of the national thing, there was a horrible color combination for viewing purposes in this game. The Hawks were wearing their red jerseys and Oklahoma City was wearing orange, which was just crazy to see. Um, you know, you could certainly tell them apart, but not very well. And it was so bad that the NBA, yes, the NBA called and asked for a change at halftime for Oklahoma City. Actually, a spokesman for the Thunder, I've not heard otherwise from the Hawks on this, so I'm going to treat this as, a, as if it's accurate. But the Thunder announced via spokesman that it was actually the Hawks um, that were the issue here for wearing the wrong color, but the league didn't catch it. So the Hawks submitted it. It was approved by the league, and the league um, should have caught the weirdness of red versus orange. And, but the Hawks didn't have another jersey with them. So the Thunder, being at home, had to change jerseys at halftime and put their white on. So no no like huge impact. In fact, Lloyd Pierce got asked about this after the game and didn't even understand what, what he was being asked about. So I guess the Hawks didn't really think about this. But it's one of those things. Uh, 
it was hard to watch the first half, <laughs> aesthetically, we'll say, and that was uh, a wild one. At any rate, the game itself, the Hawks started well, as I alluded to earlier. The Hawks led 9-3 to out of the out of the gate here. Capella had the first six points for the Hawks, a, tr- a step back three from Trey Young, and uh, early on, defensively for the Thunder, it was kind of a mess. The Hawks scored 13 points in the first four minutes. There was a nice lob from Young to Collins. Um, Collins was very good at the outset of this game as well. The Hawks led 19-10 to at one point. Um, and actually led again later on in the first quarter, 28-19. to That was their largest and uh, best lead of the night. Collins had 12 in the first nine minutes. There were some positive moments, offensively in particular, in the first quarter. Defensively, it was never great, other than maybe the first couple possessions, and that was kind of it. But uh, a 7-0 run by the Thunder to kind of cut things down late in the first quarter. A pretty normal rotation in a lot of ways for Atlanta. They did go a little bit more shallow in the second half. A Kongwu played in the first half and not in the second, so they went to, they went to a nine-man rotation after halftime. But a pretty normal rotation, all things considered, for Atlanta. Um, and again, you know, actually, a Kongwu actually had a nice floater, I thought, in the uh, pick and roll in, the, in his first stint. But the Hawks led by two at the end of the first quarter. The offense was pretty good. Um, they scored about 1.28, 1.29, something like that, points per possession. That's obviously an excellent figure. They emphasized Collins pretty well. Maybe not, not even enough, honestly. That was uh, one of my sticking points in this game was that the Hawks offensively just did not recognize on the floor. And it wasn't like they didn't have the opportunities or the schemes in place. Collins had a guy sealed, they would miss him. Or, or Capella had a guy, um, not obviously not going to throw the ball to Capella to have him cook in the post, but they had you know seals and opportunities to kind of feed, especially Collins in the early going that they kind of missed. So that was frustrating in some ways. But defensively, it was a mess for the most part the entire night. And uh, late in the first quarter, there was a bad moment from Gallinari on the final possession, defensively give up a bucket, but he was not alone. It was really bad in terms of stopping penetration. We'll touch on that more as we get going here, but that was the story of the first quarter. And of course, that was the high water mark for the Hawks in this game because they trailed pretty much the entire rest of the way. So they started out with uh, Kevin Herter on the bench, sorry, Kevin Herter on the floor with the bench in the second quarter. It was a very, very short step for Skylar Mays in the first quarter. He actually came back in and played pretty well in the second half, but that was notable to me. But it was a 16-5 overall run by the Thunder at the end of the first into the beginning of the second quarter to take the lead that they never relinquished the entire way. There was a nice three-point play, actually, from Gallinari that I have to mention. But I have to say, it was pretty funny, and I I had a laugh about this, because Dominique Wilkins on the broadcast made reference to Gallinari looking like he was going to break every bone. This is a quote, by the way. Break every bone in his body, end quote, uh, on the drive to the basket, which was kind of funny because I think I agree. At any rate, defensively, it was pretty wretched for the second unit. Pretty much the entire time. Uh, the one decent-ish stint in the entire game defensively really was in the first the first five minutes or so with the starters. And even then, that wasn't great. But the second unit was really bad defensively at times. There was a big dunk by Kevin Herter in the lane where Mike Muscala kind of slid to the side and made a business decision there on, uh, on Herter. But that was actually a pretty nice highlight from Kevin. But the Hawks were down one at the mid-second quarter timeout. And I noted at that point in time that they were pretty lucky to only be down by one, given the defense at that point in time. And I thought it might improve. They brought the starters back in, and then uh, that didn't improve, quite honestly. It was a 12-2 overall run from there, including 9-2 against the starters. Normally, when the Hawks have bad runs, not, not always, but I would say normally, when the Hawks have bad runs against them, it's with the bench. In this game, that first bad, bad, bad run was against, actually against the starters in the second quarter. So... A couple of bad shots by Trey in that run, and missed through by Herter, and then a turnover and some bad defense. The Hawks scored two points in about four and a half minutes. That was their worst offensive stretch of the whole game, probably, and uh, at a bad time, of course. Um, but still, the Thunder led by eight at the half because of the second quarter. They outscored the Hawks 32-22, so it was a kind of a two-sided mess in the second quarter. But defensively, you know, broadly speaking, it was defensively that was the problem in this game. Um, the Thunder were 20 of 26 on two-point shots in the first quarter. 
that tells you all you need to know, quite frankly. Um, in fact, the Thunder had 40 points in the paint at the half. That's about a full game total on average um, in the NBA. It's not exactly 40, but somewhere around there. So 40 and a half is like ghastly. And Lloyd Pierce pointed that out after the game. And rightly so. That was that was not a good indication. And honestly, they earned it. I mean, it wasn't like the Thunder were like hitting circus layups. Like they were getting a lot of easy buckets near the rim. They shot 14-21 overall in the second quarter with 10 assists. And by the way, the Hawks, uh, sorry, the Thunder were dead last in the NBA and offensive rating coming into the game, which makes which makes this even worse. Now it's a good matchup for them, especially because they're not a great perimeter team. Other than other than uh, SGA, they don't really have a lot on the perimeter, but they do have a lot of good athletes, and they attack the rim. And the Hawks just did not have the personnel to stop them on the perimeter, so a bad matchup there. But still, um, the Hawks only had three fouls defensively. That's something Lloyd Pierce mentioned after the game as well. And while you don't want to foul, obviously. Uh, he limited the lack of physicality, which I have to agree with. The Hawks didn't really come out physically and impose themselves in this game, and the Thunder rose up a level, and uh, they were able to maintain it. Offensively, it was fine, honestly. The Hawks scored plenty in the first half. The second quarter was not very good, necessarily, but uh, you know, Young kind of struggled throughout the game. Collins had a good first half, but that was kind of it in terms of like individual. I mean, Capella had some good numbers in this game as well, but offensively, it wasn't dynamic. It was fine. But defensively, it was not going to be uh, enough to do the offense any favors, and that was the theme throughout the game. So, we'll come back in a moment to discuss the second half, some takeaways, etc., uh, etc. Et but first, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is BetOnline.ag. Football may be over, but the NBA, college basketball, the NHL, and many more sports are in full swing. But there's only one place that has you covered, one place that we trust, and that place is BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. You can sign up today for a free account at BetOnline.ag. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus with the site. On top of the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL, baseball is on the way in the near future and all kinds of additional angles to handicap, including awards, TV shows, and reality TV. In fact, there are dozens of real-time updated props on almost anything you can imagine, and BetOnline has you covered for all of the news, scores, and odds, including future bets, if you want to look way ahead. It is the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get in on the action and visit the website or use a mobile device to sign up today. Don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive that 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. One more time, that is promo code LOCKEDON for 50% welcome bonus at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, to the second half we go, and uh, obviously not a lot of great stuff to get into here. There was one brief push early in the third quarter. The Hawks go into the break, down eight. They go up an open three and a pretty bad breakdown on the first possession. So suddenly they're down by 11 at 66-55. And then the Hawks came alive for a little bit. They got a, a three from Herter, a post-up from Collins, a young, a, a young layup, then another three from Herter. And, and defensively, it was a little bit better, I will say, early in the third. They cut the lead all the way down to 65, I should say, down to three. Um, and they had a three in the air. I made note of this. Uh, they had a three-pointer a three pointer in the air is a pretty good look that would have tied it with about eight minutes to go in the third quarter. That didn't go, and then the Thunder rattled off an 11-3 run, and suddenly the lead was back to 11. So that was a big stretch. It wasn't like the whole pivotal stretch, but if that shot goes in, we'll see. And then they kind of let go of the rope a little bit there for a second. In fact, the Thunder had 24 assists with five minutes left in the third quarter, and they averaged 23 assists. So... That tells you they were certainly comfortable in a way that was not ideal for Atlanta. Um, after a timeout, this is my one um, sort of rotational beef. I know a lot of people were, were sort of bothered in my mentions about the rotations. That's not um, abnormal, I'll say. This is the one that got me, though, that I didn't that I thought was a kind of a weird, not good move. Um, they went very small after that run by the Thunder. Now, on one hand, you're down 11, and when you're down 11 in the second half, 
you need some variance and you need some offense. So I understand the thinking a little bit there. With that said, they went to Trey Young, uh, Skylar Mays, Kevin Herter at the three, Solomon Hill at the four, and Gallinari at the five. They played some zone, which is the only way to do it there with Gallinari at the five. But honestly, like I don't think that's a good matchup whatsoever in a vacuum, even with Gallinari, with what he's playing defensively this season. And then you throw in the fact that the Thunder were so good going to the rim already in this game. Even against Capella, they were getting to the rim, kind of, kind of not, not necessarily at will, but when you factor in the matchup, I, I hated that decision defensively. And yeah, again, you, you want some variance, you want some offense, and it didn't get them killed, actually. They're actually not killed in that lineup in the way that you might have thought, but I didn't love that. And they were certainly did not um, get many stops in that stretch. Um, the bench offense, though, was honestly not good in the, at the end of the third quarter. They were kind of a mess. as a, After Trey left the court, um, they were really, really shaking the last like, three minutes or so of the fourth, sorry, of the third. And they got down by 17 late in the third. They got down, to, down, got down to 13, actually, but one of those shots. So a couple of shots that I want to note in this game was, you know, the one that I mentioned before that, that would have tied the game that the Hawks missed. Um, they got to 13 late in the final minute of the third quarter, and then Mike Muscala, old friend, hits a like 30-foot running three at the buzzer to go back up to 16. And, you know, that's it's one shot, but 13 to 16 is not a small difference at the end of three quarters, and the Thunder were hot obviously. And, uh, you know, that was a kind of a microcosm. There was one more that we'll get into in the fourth quarter, but a couple of just uh, moments that you circle in my head at any rate. Um, the Hawks got, got, it down to, uh, got it down to 12, I will say, early in the fourth quarter, and then down to 10 on a play by Skylar Mays on a three. I thought he was good, actually, in this run. And then after a timeout, they got to stop. Kevin Herter hits a floater to go down. To get, to suddenly, it's, suddenly it's an eight-point game. So from, from down 17, then uh, back down 16, Suddenly hits eight and pretty quickly in the fourth. But then another one of those shots was a forced, a, honestly, one of the better def- defensive trips of the entire game for the Hawks. But Ty Jerome hits like a pretty difficult, contested, deep three, and he makes it to go back up 11. And that was a big shot, I thought. Uh, again, you wanna, I don't, I don't want to overstate it, but a couple of those swing moments, and that was one of them in this game, and suddenly from eight to three. Um, I will note here that Trey Young sat for a very, very long time. He sat for about nine minutes. And uh, that was curious. I was going to criticize that. I think it was a little bit longer. You know, Trey was not good in this game, but I thought they they let him sit for too long. And there was some sort of playing the hits with the second unit of, you know, Mays especially was playing well. And the Hawks were doing a little bit better with, without him on the floor in this game and that one run. But after the game, Young said that he kind of tweaked his foot in the first half and then also had a groin pull along the way. So he had a foot injury and a groin injury in this game both, which that kind of explains why he was not very good, and also explains why he might have sat so long. And also, he was wincing. The broadcast did a good job of showing that sort of late in the game. He was clearly in some discomfort, which they pointed out. And then uh, also, Young said that he actually wanted those guys to stay in and keep rolling because they were playing better, and he's right about that. So, you know, there's a lot of noise, obviously. I'm not sure how much of that was performance or rotation or whatever, but there was some explanation after the game as to why Young sat for as long as he did because that was definitely abnormal. They've been been trying to give him a little bit longer rest recently, and it's actually worked a few times. But in this game, nine minutes is longer than he ever sits. And obviously, they they weren't rolling so much that they had to do that. So keep an eye on that in the future. But hopefully, Trey is going to be okay for uh, Sunday and beyond. At any rate, they got the lead down down to eight again with about five minutes to go. Trey missed a pull-up on the left side, um, and then they scored right right back, Oklahoma City did. So suddenly they're, they're down 11 again, got got some stops back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, they called timeout with 3.42 to go, uh, down 9. So they're in trouble there, down 9. But it's it's not, 
it's not done. And then Oklahoma City misses an open three. Like Maladon had a really good look and missed it. So you have the ball now, down nine. And then you have this this whole long possession where you get two offensive rebounds, one by Capella, one by Solomon Hill, and then Trey Young hits a three, and it's 109-103. Again, you're down six. You're still a big underdog, but down six, three minutes to go is plenty of time. But from that point forward, it was all thunder. Uh, they give up a corner three to Dort, which is probably the biggest shot of the game in retrospect to sort of stop the bleeding. And then Young misses a pretty long um, contested, uh, like, a, like a 31-footer or something like that. Um, and then SGA gets the, gets a layup to go back up 11. So that was kind of it. You know, again, the, <laughs> I don't want to overstate it. The Hawks were not in a position to win the game at any point late. It felt like they were threatening a little bit for a minute, and that was kind of the end of that. And then a, a pretty big dagger dunk by Darius Baisley at the end of the game. So Solo's in at 9. The Hawks won the fourth quarter, so, uh, you know, there's that small win, but the Hawks dug the, obviously dug the hole in the uh, in the third. It's ironic because the Hawks lost the, four, the second half by one point. In this game, it was uh, 55-54. So the second quarter was really where things got out of hand for Atlanta in this spot. But regardless, not what you want in terms of the performance. Uh, I will add some uh, analysis momentarily. But first, I want to kind of just play you the opening statement from Lloyd Pierce. And if you've watched the Hawks media at any point post game, you will know that um, PR will open up and ask Lloyd for an opening statement. He doesn't always give a long one, but in this game, he was fired up a little bit. So this is what he had to say about the opening statement and uh, his general thoughts on the loss. Yeah, my opening statement is just physicality. We had three fouls at the half, at the break, and they had 40 points in the paint in you know, to be a step slow, this is a team that plays with tremendous pace and effort and they're competitive. And our physicality, our, our, our ability to just, just put somebody on the floor, uh, to be physical, to, to, to make them feel us. Uh, we, we were beat off the dribble. We didn't bring help. We didn't put guys in, in bad positions. We were a step slow, and, and, and it's unacceptable. I think we have a team that looks fatigued and is playing fatigued, and we can't afford to do that. We've got to finish strong. We, we know a break is coming in a week. And we can't look at the break. We gotta, we gotta find ways to finish these three games with some effort, some competitiveness, and a level of physicality that wasn't here tonight. And, and that's from everyone, top to bottom. It, it was, it's unacceptable. Uh, we, we played catch up. I thought we could have done anything we wanted tonight, the way we started the game, and then they turned it up and we didn't respond. Re- really unfortunate. All right. So yeah, I mean, it's, I can't fault him. A lot of that is accurate. They didn't play with a ton of energy or force and. I referenced a couple things that he said later on in his press conference earlier about the defense, and they just didn't play with a lot of physicality and energy. I mean, it's defensively, it was not good. And uh, to his point about the early going, you know, it was very clear to me anyway in the first quarter that if they had kind of just bludgeoned OKC on the interior, John Collins got wherever he wanted. That's, there was a reference there to getting whatever they wanted, and it felt like Collins and Capella could dominate this game if they let them. And they didn't really run stuff through them. And as I mentioned before, they kind of just kept missing them in a lot of ways, and there were some bad settles. And honestly... I'm on record, I'll say it again right now just for clarity's sake. This is a defensive loss, but the offense was not that good either. Um, so that's, you know, it's equal, not equal blame. Uh, some blame for the offense. I think mostly for the defense and the physicality stuff is is poignant here. Um, so broadly speaking, as we get into our takeaways, the Thunder scored 60 points in the paint. Now, hilariously, the Hawks actually won the points in the paint battle because they had 62 of their own, but... That doesn't matter as much as giving up 60 points in the paint. So 60 is just a crazy high number, and it shows you how bad the defense was around the rim in this game. And really at the point of attack was my problem throughout. Um, But if you look at the breakdown, other than that, like the sort of four factors in this game, other than shooting efficiency, which 
in this game was not like noise. You know, I'm, I'm prone to pointing out when there's some noise and shot quality. In this game, it was not a shot quality issue. The Thunder got a bunch of open threes, and they got a bunch of shots at the rim, and that's bad defense. Flat out bad defense. Um, but the Hawks won the offense. They won the glass um, on both ends of the floor kind of dominantly, and that allowed them to take nine more shots than the Thunder did in this game. That's usually a good recipe. If you attempt nine more shots than your opponent, you're in good shape a lot of the time. And that happened here, and it didn't matter. Turnover battle was pretty much even. Free throw battle was pretty much even. Um, but the defense was just bad, other than rebounding. The one thing they did well defensively was rebound, but that was it. They just gave up way too many easy shots, and that got them beat in this game. Um, so offensively, on the whole, they just didn't shoot it particularly well. They actually got a, a pretty good diet of like turnovers. 11 turnovers is fine for the Hawks. It's less than their average. They got, but they only got to the line 17 times, including none for Trey. That's notable. Um, they shot 12 of 40 from three. So they attempted 43. That's fine. Uh, they just didn't shoot great, but it wasn't like a complete disaster either. They shot okay on twos. And the offense scored about 1.13 points per possession. And that's like a little bit better than what the Hawks average. So again, to my point earlier about the offense not being the problem here, it, it wasn't the problem. It wasn't great by any means, but it wasn't the problem. Defensively, they allowed 1.22 points per possession to the Thunder, who, again, entered this game dead last in offense. Oklahoma City shot... If there's one thing to circle and, like, a little bit unlucky is that the Thunder shot 38% from three. But, again, a lot of those were, like, really good looks. Like, they don't have a lot of good shooters. That is worth pointing out. Like, for instance, like, Lou Dort made four threes. That's more than he's going to make a lot of the time. Um, but, like, SGA was three of five. Every single guy who played for the Thunder made a three. All nine of them made at least one three in this game, you know, they played a little bit higher than their level, but the Hawks were bad defensively, and that's just what's going to happen sometimes when you perform that poorly, you're going to lose, and uh, that was all I have really on the numbers. It's it's a bad loss. Like, there was certainly some coaching stuff in there. Um, there was some execution stuff in there, you know, rotational stuff, uh, defensive, you know, just energy, all those, th- basically, throughout, throughout whatever, whatever you want to say about this game defensively, and there was probably a little bit of that in here, from point of attack to rim protection to wing stoppers to everything. It was a mess defensively, and they lost as a result of that. Okay, before we dive into the individual breakdowns and a little bit of news at the end of the podcast, a word from our sponsors on today's show. All right, to the individual breakdowns to finish off the podcast and finish off the week of, of I would say, very busy week of podcasts. Um, three guys did not play in this game, Nathan Knight, Bruno Fernando, Brandon Goodwin. Those are the three guys who haven't played much lately at all, so no, no big surprises there. Akongwu only got one stint. It was four minutes. He actually made both of his shots. He was two of two. Um, committed a foul, was minus two, four points. A couple of nice flashes, nothing bad there, but just didn't see him a ton in this game. That was okay, based on where they were. Solomon Hill, one of five from the floor, one of four from three. Three points, minus 12. He was not very good, I didn't think. He had a steal. He wasn't terrible, but uh, it was not a solution to the problem defensively. Rondo's numbers look okay. He had 10 points and 5 assists in 21 minutes. He actually made 2 or 3 from 3, which is a nice bonus for him. Uh, 4 turnovers is a lot for someone who plays uh, as few minutes as he does. And defensively, it was a mess. So, I sent out kind of a frustrated tweet about Rondo during the game and how I was kind of all set with the experience. He was better than I probably said he was in this game, but it was not good. Like, it was not it was not a positive performance. I know the assists were nice, um, but other than that, it was, you know, it was typical Rondo and frustration and just over-dribbling and late late passes, all that stuff. I don't want to pile on. It wasn't all him, by the way. And uh, actually, the Hawks were minus only minus three when he played, so they were actually better when he was on the floor than the overall result. That's worth pointing out, but he was not very good. Um, Skylar Mays, not great in the first half, much better in the second half, made a couple of nice plays, had 10 points, had a steal, two rebounds, 
Three of seven from the floor, one of four from three. Got to the line four times as well. A positive night for him overall, I thought. And then Gallinari came back to earth in this game. He was two of eight from the floor, zero of three from three. Defensively, you know, I'm not going to do this every single podcast, but it was quite bad. Uh, we'll just leave it there for now. Uh, eight points, five rebounds, and two assists. To the starters, Tony Snell finally had a bad game as a shooter. He was 0-3 from the floor, 0-2 from three. Just didn't shoot it very much and very well. Um, did not score. Had a block, had a steal, had an assist, uh, but was not like his dominant self. Was plus three, I'll say. Uh, I think Tony's still fine when he doesn't score, but uh, he was not his not his best necessarily. Kevin Herter was not his best either. 15 points. Did have four assists and six rebounds. 5-14 from the floor, three of nine from three. But he was part of the problem on the perimeter. I think the, um, honestly... Pick a guy of the guards from Young to Herter to Rondo, even Mays at times. It was bad with stopping penetration. Even Snell was not like great in that way. And those uh, that, that point of attack defense was a problem. That was sort of equal blame for everyone there. But Herter was okay. Just wasn't uh, his absolute best because of the uh, uneven uh, shooting and the inefficiency on some level. Um, Trey Young was not particularly good in this game. I think it was actually one of his shakier games uh, in recent memory. Um, 17 points, though. Eight assists, six rebounds, so he still gets his numbers on some level, but 17 points on 21 shooting possessions. He was 7 of 21 from the floor, 3 of 9 from 3. As I said before, he did have uh, some injuries, so I'm not, I wonder how much of that kind of slowed him. But defensively, this was like previous levels, Trey Young, before this season. I made I made a point to kind of note that he's been much better this season. Like that is, Again, not doesn't mean, doesn't mean he's always great, but he's been better this year. This was more of like a last year defensive performance from Trey. He was not good stopping the ball. Um... And actually, there's probably some noise here, but somebody asked me this during the game, so I'll mention it now. Trey's numbers in Oklahoma City are not good. I wonder if he presses a little bit in his hometown. That's all narrative-based. I have no idea. But between the injuries and that and his inefficiency, not a good night for Trey. Um, obviously, he was not the the big problem in this game. But it goes again, once again. This is I made a, I made painstaking points to say that this is a, de- a defensive loss, and I still believe that. So he- make sure that you hear what I'm saying. But this is another night when Trey didn't have it, and they lost. And... That correlation, I keep mentioning it on almost every podcast recently, but the correlation is very, very strong for when Trey doesn't have it, they don't usually win. Um, at least this season so far. Anyway, uh, and then the, the front court guys, Capella and Collins, were probably their best players in this game. Capella, 17 points, 21, 21, yes, 21 rebounds, four blocks. So a vintage, uh, dominant Capella game around the rim. He was actually plus seven in a almost 10-point loss, so that's notable. Uh, he was very good, 31 minutes. He got a little bit tired, uh, Lloyd Pierce said, after the game. That's why he had to pull him at one point, but you know he still played very, very well. He was very good uh, overall. He was the only guy on the roster that could stop penetration at the rim, and even then, you're putting him in a, in a tough spot. Obviously, we've talked about on this podcast a lot how Capella has been given a lot of responsibility because of the perimeter defense. That was doubly the case in this game. He was asked to clean up everything. He did a pretty good job, but nobody could stop anything. It wasn't just Rudy Gobert. You know, I'm not sure Rudy Gobert could have stopped the perimeter stuff that was happening around the rim. Anyway, and then John Collins played well. 20, 25 points, 8 rebounds, had a steal. Um, 2 fouls, minus 7. 11 of 19 from the floor, 2 of 6 from 3. I wish they'd given him the ball more. And that's kind of funny to say of a guy who took 19 shots in 32 minutes. But Collins really did have a path to doing whatever he wanted to do. And they kind of just stopped giving him the ball as much after that first 12, he had 12 points in the first nine minutes and he kind of cooled off from there, but it wasn't him cooling off really. It was them not really feeding him. So that wasn't the only problem. And again, offense wasn't the issue in this game, but uh, frustrating. I, I I thought though, the two guys who played genuinely, like generally well were Capella, were Capella and Collins. So there you go. Okay. Before we get out of here, I'll just mention that the next game for the Hawks is on Sunday in Miami. In fact, they have a two game set. One of those, uh, 
COVID scheduling things with a Sunday-Tuesday matchup against the Heat on the road. Miami has not been playing uh, poorly recently. They, they started out just absolutely awful, so their record does not look very good. Um, but they're, they've won five in a row. They're still below 500, but they're, they're better than that, obviously. you know I'm not the biggest Miami fan in the world, but they, they beat Utah tonight for, for the record. So they're playing much better basketball, and now that they're healthy, they are pretty good. So I think if the Hawks could get a split there, they'd be pretty satisfied with that. Um, what you don't want to do is lose both. And just quick, quickly mention this because people, people were pointing this out to me after the game. Even with this loss, as hilarious as this is, the Hawks are in 11th place, but they're two games out of fifth <laughs> which is just like and two and a half games out of fourth. So it's just one of those things where the entire league is bunched up. I know 14-19 feels terrible, and I get all that, but you know the injuries and the fact that the entire league is bunched up in the middle other than the top three of Philadelphia, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee, everybody else is 500 or worse in the East. So uh, there is some flexibility, fortunately, for Atlanta after this slow start. Last thing on the podcast today is that there's an interview that I thought was really interesting that Lloyd Pierce gave to Jeff Schultz of The Athletic. I am not going to read the entire thing. Um, and by the way, it's behind a paywall, so I'm not going to, just as a point of principle, I'm not going to give it all away. And I thought it was a pretty interesting read. So if you had The Athletic, I would definitely recommend reading it, even if you don't like Lloyd Pierce. I, I, a lot of the reaction that I saw after I uh, tweeted about it was uh, the people that don't like Lloyd didn't like the interview, which I totally get. And that's just, people have decided and that. It's just the way the life works. Um, I thought it was just an interesting read. Even if you didn't like it, it was a, a, a pretty good window into things anyway. But I, I want to mention one thing, and it was the section that got the most attention, and that Pierce was pretty candid about his job status and some questions about that. Um, there are also some there's other stuff in there as well, from like his Jordan collection to Birth of a Child and the team and his media relations, all that stuff. But um, the stuff about his job status was, first, he said, and I'm quoting here, it's always on me. I was hired May 11th, 2018. That was the first day I was on the hot seat, end quote. That's pretty normal for a, co- for a coach to say, honestly. But the second part of that was more interesting. So Schultz asked sort of a follow-up there. And I'm going to read the entire quote here because it's pretty interesting to me. This is what Loy had to say. Quote, Travis is going to fire me one day. And you know what I'm going to say? The guy gave me a great opportunity in life. Do you think I'm going to be pissed? He's damn near my best friend. I'm eternally thankful for his belief in me and ultimately decisions he has to make are always going to be about the organization, but I'm eternally grateful for the belief and the confidence that he has had in me. That's the beauty of this. That's why there's no pressure or stress. I have a job to fulfill. I have to hold all the responsibilities and standards towards me, and I understand that that's the job. So that's the long quote. That's pretty interesting that he just kind of says flat out, Travis is going to fire me one day. And by the way, he's correct because... 99% 99% of coaches get fired. Um, in fact, he followed up with that. Uh, Schultz was kind of, you know, he printed his own statements and he kind of followed up about Pierce being so candid. And Pierce said, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this one, but he said he basically loved to be the next Greg Popovich, Greg Popovich in terms of longevity and that anybody wants to do that, but it's very rare to stay around that long. And he's right on that on that point. So, like, people were saying this is weird that he said this. And, I, yeah, it's a little, you know, weird is maybe the wrong word. It's unusual to hear this kind of candor. But... As I've said a million times on this podcast and other places, the first thing that happens in the NBA when things go wrong is that the coach gets fired a lot of the time, and he knows that. It's not a it's not a secret in the league that the coaches get thrown overboard. That's what happens in the NBA. And you know, as much as I've been seen as like defending Lloyd, that's you know, at the end of the day, the reality is ninety nine percent of coaches get fired at some point, <laughs> whether it be in their first three years or whether they get fired seven years in or one year in or whatever. Think about the guys who in the league right now that have not been fired from their, from a job. It's basically Pop who hired himself. Pop is the GM in San Antonio, hired himself, and then went on a, just a historic run. Um, 
And Eric Spolstra has not been fired in Miami because he has he won two titles and he's awesome. And Brad Stevens has not been fired, but like Rick Carlisle got fired. He's really good at his job. Like Quinn Snyder hasn't gotten fired yet in Utah, but like it, but Mike Mendoza got fired and he won Coach of the Year. So like there, there, there's a list of coaches that is kind of in that tier that hasn't gotten fired. But you know, 90, again, 95% of coaches just get fired, and that's what happens. He knows it. Travis knows it. The fan base knows it. The players probably know it. It's just the reality of the situation. But I thought it was pretty interesting. And the last thing he, uh, that I'm going to quote here, he says, you're a competitor and you'll be pissed, but I don't want to worry about it. And I don't hide from it because it's the reality. Travis is my co- Travis is my guy. I'm eternally grateful for that. End quote. So I have no idea if Lloyd's going to get fired this season or after this season, or actually it wouldn't even be firing him after the season because they don't. it's only under contract for this year. But um, I have no idea when or if that's going to happen. But it was interesting candor, I will say. And obviously, he's on Twitter. He's heard the stuff that people have said about him. Uh, you know, Schultz mentions it, and he writes about it at the, at the top of the interview. So just an interesting window there. I will, uh, you know, I'll leave it there because I've talked about coaching way too much in the last few weeks for my uh, my own mental state. But there you go on that. Thank you, as always, for listening to the podcast. Again, this is a bad loss for Atlanta wrapping up on this game-centric podcast. 14-19 is not what you want if you are Atlanta. If they go into the break and lose the last three here, that's that's trouble. Um, but even then, as I point out, it feels worse than it probably is. And I'm not, you know, I'm not always seen as an apologist, but it's just the reality. If the Hawks were some dire position, I would probably tell you that, but it's uh they're not. They're in fine shape. And you want to just avoid 0-3 here at the end of the uh of the of the time. Also, last thing I guess, because I forgot to say this earlier, there was some uproar about Trey Young not being an injury replacement today on the on the All-Star team. Um, I think, and I've done some research on this quickly, I think the Eastern Conference, you know, well, it's really Adam Silver, the, the commissioner, I think they couldn't pick Trey to replace Kevin Durant because both wild cards in the East, um, when they actually voted, were guards. So right now, if they had picked Trey, the bench in the East would have been five guards and two front court players, which is not what they're going to do. Um, so I'm, I'm 95% sure about that. Um, I will say that Trey is a more deserving all-star than Demonis Sabonis. I think Trey is a more deserving all-star than Nikola Vucevic and other guys. I, I've said that a number of times. I thought Trey should have made it, and he still could, but he probably needs to have a backcourt injury absence to actually have a chance to be selected. At any rate, that's that. Enjoy your Friday evenings if you're listening to this very, very late into the night on Friday. If not, enjoy your weekend. I'll be back with a, new, with, with a new episode after the game on Sunday in Miami. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell your friends about the show. Rate, review, all that fun stuff. And we'll see you next time.